Let's begin. We are in Acts chapter 10 this morning. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 33 from Acts chapter 10. Now it's several verses, so I have to listen real quick. Because we gotta, we got to go through this fast. Acts 10, 1 through 33. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. It says at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for you coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to this house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. And the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and his close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, and he fell down at his feet, and he worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common 
or unclean. And so when I was sent for, I came without objection. And I asked them why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. And so I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now, I wish I could have the time to preach the whole chapter, but we'd be here for hours. Okay, so we don't have, we'll have to get to the rest of it next week. So we got to cut off at verse 33 this morning. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever noticed when you're driving down the road and someone is going slow in the passing lane in front of you, that person is always a jerk? Or when someone is flying down the road going way faster, way too fast for anybody that that should be driving, that person is always a maniac or an idiot. Don't pretend like you've never said that. Don't pretend like you've never said, well, look at that idiot. This jerk won't get out of the passing lane. They are always idiots or jerks because it's our fallen nature to justify ourselves while we condemn those who are different than us. It's our nature. We're prone to judge other people based on some sort of external characteristics rather than accept others as equal to us. Prejudice and partiality has existed since the beginning of time. Cain and Abel, we see it right there in the beginning of Scripture. It is everywhere in the world. It affects every nation, every state, every city, and every neighborhood. And this passage of Scripture has a lot to say to us concerning prejudice and even racism. In fact, these verses have a lot to say to us concerning our attitudes and the way we think of other ethnic groups besides our own as corrupt or unclean. These verses have a lot to say to us concerning missions and taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to every single ethnic group in the world so that they might be saved from the wrath of God. And I pray this morning that you will listen intently to what is laid out in these verses for us. That you will hear the powerful message of how God breaks down the prejudices of people. Because Jesus Christ has erased every single prejudice. Jesus Christ has erased all barriers that come between men. And in order for us to be effectively used by the Lord, He must break our prejudice. He has to. And so the first thing that we see as we look at this passage of Scripture is this idea that that a vision is given to Cornelius. The beginning stages of breaking down of the prejudice starts with a Gentile by a man named Cornelius. And what I want you to, uh, to make, take particular notice of is this. It is God who initiates the breakdown of prejudice. Because he is the only one that can erase it. And he is the only one that can reconcile man to each other. We are actually told quite a bit about Cornelius in this passage of Scripture. First, we're told that Cornelius was a soldier. 
Reread that he is a centurion in the Italian cohort. And so he had 100 soldiers from Italy that were under his command. And he was stationed in a Gentile city, the city called Caesarea. And because it was a Gentile city, it was a place where Jews did not go. And Peter is a Jew. Okay? And so Cornelius is a soldier stationed in a city where Jews did not go. We also know that Cornelius had an unusual fear of God. We read that he was a devout man. He worshiped God. He was sick of the Roman paganism and was attracted to Jewish monotheism. He feared God, which is unusual for a Gentile. He sensed the presence of God and he tried to live right. He was charitable. He gave money. He was a man who prayed. And in fact, the word used there means uh, to beg. And so it's saying that he begged God continually. The point is that Cornelius was unusual. He wasn't like any other Gentile. But despite all this, he still was not a true believer. Scripture says he remained uncircumcised. He still was not a true believer. Not only that, but Cornelius was given a vision from God. God uses an angel. An angel that strikes terror into Cornelius. The angels had such clear presence of glory of God that this centurion looked upon the angel and called him Lord. And he is certain that this is an angel from God. It is because of that certainty that there is that there's certainty that following the that the following events under the control of the are under the control of the divine providence of God and what takes place takes place according to God's divine purposes affected by God's divine power and there's about to be a major shift in the kingdom of God now look at what the scripture says what a powerful statement the angel makes god has heard and kept in mind. That's powerful. God has heard you, Cornelius. He's heard you. And he's kept in mind as a memorial. The prayers. The prayers of Cornelius. God has regarded his alms. <clears throat> this desire to know the true and living God had reached the moment of being ripe of being ripened to the plan of God and then Cornelius was given instructions from God some specific instructions are given to Cornelius to follow he is to send men to Joppa to bring Simon Peter to him so immediately Cornelius sends two servants and a devout soldier to Joppa to get Peter and why did Cornelius have to send for Peter because Cornelius still did not know Christ as his Savior. And God had ordained Peter to take the gospel to Cornelius, as we're going to see in a few minutes. God prepared people to receive the gospel, and he does so in many different ways. He does so today. Saul was a hostile person to the gospel. Cornelius was humble and wanted to know more. Even though Saul did not believe in Jesus the Messiah, at first he did believe, and then there would be, at first he did believe that there would be a Messiah, but he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. That the Messiah was only for a special group of people. And Cornelius' only hope was for an inclusion in the people of God. 
But God constantly is bringing people to himself. And so Cornelius is given these instructions. And then we see, we're introduced to Cornelius in this vision and the instructions given to him. And then we move to Peter. And we see a vision is given to Peter. In verses 9 through 16, we notice God breaking down the prejudice that Peter has held. The servants from Cornelius, they're on their way, it says. They're to the city of Joppa. They're approaching and soon they would arrive and request Peter to visit Cornelius. However, Peter's not ready to welcome them, nor is he ready to visit Cornelius, nor is he ready to take the gospel to Cornelius. You say, well, how do we know that Peter's not ready? Quite simply because Cornelius was a Gentile and Peter was a Jew. And Peter says, don't you know it's illegal for me to even be here? And there was a racial discrimination between Peter and Cornelius, between Jew and Gentile. You'd not go into the home of a Gentile, as Peter later states. As a Jew, you did not share meals with a Gentile. You didn't hang out with Gentiles. They weren't your buddies. They weren't your friends. There's a racial difference, but there's a religious difference. Listen, church, Peter may not have been ready to break down the prejudice, but God was ready. It was God's time. And God breaks down the prejudice. And God is the one that breaks down division and turns division into multiplication because He is the only one that can do that. God is the one that brings reconciliation. God is the one that brings peace between people. And that's what we see happening here. We notice that Peter was a man of prayer. So it is around noon. This is not one of the appointed times for public prayer, but pious Jews who would pray three times a day, would typically do so during this time. And so Peter withdraws to the roof of Simon the Tanner's house where he can spend some time. And while Peter's up there praying, he begins to get hungry and perhaps even calls down for some food to be prepared. And, and he, he's just like anybody else, you know? He's a follower of the Lord, but he's just like anybody else, get hungry. And being saved and mature and, and called to serve God didn't make Peter perfect. He was... Not free from need. He was not free from sin. He got hungry. He got thirsty just like everyone else. And he was given to prejudice. Just like everyone else. Until God changes him. Praise be to God. That's about. That's, what's, that's what is about to happen. Because we now see Peter falls into a trance. So what the scripture tells us, the word for trance there is, is uh, ecstasy, meaning that Peter was transported out of himself. His mind was so concentrated and so focused that Peter lost all knowledge of the, of the world that he was in and that was around him and he was swallowed up in the thoughts of God. It's kind of like when you fall into a daydream. Have you ever done that? You kind of fall into a daydream and you don't really know what's going on around you. It would, it'd be like that, but more focused. In this case, God is communicating directly with Peter. This trance isn't some sort of drug-induced thing, but it's from God, and God put Peter into the trance, and we know this because it is God who's communicating with Peter, and because Peter sees the heavens opened up, and Peter sees a sheet. And this has got to be strange. To be Peter, seeing a sheet come down from heaven. I mean, I don't know 
Have you ever had like a weird dream and you're just like, that's weird? I mean, that's got to be what Peter, this is weird. We read something like a sheet comes down from heaven and in this sheet were living things of all kinds of animals. Is what it says. Listed are the animals. The, the, the animals listed are ceremonial, ceremonial unclean, reptiles, birds, and other unclean animals. These animals did not come walking or crawling to Peter or flying to him. They came to Peter because they were being let down from heaven in this sheet by God. They're on this sheet that's being let down by four corners as if to include all dimensions of the earth. And there's a command given to Peter. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. God is the creator of all things. Everything originates from God. In fact, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons, though the insecurity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created. Listen, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. God is revealing to Peter, Peter, these animals are not unclean. Don't you call common what I call clean. We see Peter's response to the vision. Notice what Peter says. He's commanded, take and eat, Peter, rise, eat. What does Peter say? By no means, Lord. You see, Peter elevates the ceremonial law that, had, that he had grown up with over the words that he had heard over a direct command from heaven. Now, this, this language should sound a little familiar to us because if we remember back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 22, Peter sought to give the Lord a correcting and he received a severe rebuke from the Lord. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. That's a pretty powerful rebuke. Just like the crucifixion was a hard pill for Peter to swallow, so is removal of the prohibitions of the ceremonial law. And Peter's resisting. Now to be clear, ceremonial law had a purpose, but it had served its purpose. It was, it was to show the people of God that they must be separated and that sin could be forgiven by a perfect sacrifice. That's why you had the ceremonial law. However, Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial system, rendering the ceremonial law no longer relevant. And three times the sheet came down and the word of the Lord was that what God has made clean, do not call common. God is working on Peter to provide the perfect, the perfect opportunity into what he's going to ask him to do next. And that's what we see. Prejudice is overcome. Let's stop and think about what we've read so far. First, through the Holy Spirit's working on Cornelius, he is seeking the one true God. And he's given a vision on how to proceed. And he sends 
two guys out to go find Peter. And while they're on their way, the Lord gives Peter a vision, revealing to him, not, not to someone, um, what God has made clean. This will prove to have an impact on Peter reaching the Gentiles who are considered unclean. Notice that God is the one that's orchestrating all of this. God is the one that's in control. God is the one that's bringing it to come to pass. He is the one that's working his plan so that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go to the Gentiles. God is moving and orchestrating every single event so that his word would go out. We read that Peter's perplexed. He's trying to figure this vision out. What could this mean? Does it really mean that I can eat all those animals? Is that what it means? Is God trying to show me something? And while he's on the roof, and while he's perplexed, the men that were sent almost 24 hours before by Cornelius arrive at the house where Peter's staying. And the men arrive at the gate, and they call out to find out where Peter's lodging. And at this time, the Holy Spirit tells Peter that there are three men looking for him and he's told exactly what to do. He said, he's told, go to them and tell them that I am the one that you're looking for. And he's told to go without hesitation. Why? Because they were sent by God. There's to be no reasoning. There's no back and forth. Peter's not to, not to say, well, I don't know if I should go or not. Peter is to go without hesitation. And what God is doing calls for prompt obedience from Peter, not for hesitation. It's interesting to trace the involvement of the Spirit up to this point. The Spirit told Peter the men were downstairs. The Spirit told Peter to go. The Spirit told Peter not to hesitate. The Spirit told Peter that, that whom he had sent. Interestingly enough, the Spirit does not tell Peter the men are Gentiles. As we're going through this, nowhere does he say, I have some Gentile men at the, at the gate waiting for you. Neither does the Spirit reveal to him the meaning of the vision. You notice that? He's not revealed the meaning of the vision. Because Peter is about ready to have his prejudice overcome. So we see that Peter meets with these guys. These men sent by Cornelius. He goes down. He meets with them. They tell him why they have come. And that it was in response to the directions given by an angel. Now notice what Peter does. He invites them to stay with him. You notice that? This is unheard of. Peter invites those considered unclean from a completely different culture to come and stay with him. That's what he does. Now Peter, he could have told them where the local Gentile motel was, but he didn't. He invites these men to come in and stay with him. Interesting. Would you do that? Would you do that with somebody that you're prejudiced against? You say, hey, just come on in and stay with me tonight. Stay in my place. The next day, they get up and they head out. 
You notice that nowhere does Peter use that word unclean? Nowhere does he say you guys are unclean? Just bites them in and then they go head out. Reach Caesarea. Now it's interesting because if God wanted to, he could have transported Peter to Caesarea, kind of like what he did with Philip. But Peter has to spend hours in the company of these Gentiles. During this time, he must have learned a great deal about who Cornelius was. He must have had time to select, uh, select the statements and, and listen to uh, what these men were saying and kind of thinking through, well, what am I going to say? And during this time, he had to be thinking, what God has made clean, do not call common. And you know, as we read through this, we notice that in Scripture, when we find that a certain doctrine is advancing, sometimes it offends people. Sometimes it does so painfully, even in Scripture. It requires God arranging things to happen, even the difficult circumstances He causes them to happen in order to advance His cause. And likewise, in the history of the church, when the church has made an attempt to more fully and coherently grasp the Scripture, it, it, it loves and, and it's supposed to grasp conflict ensues and suffering ensues and misunderstanding ensues and oftentimes division ensues this is because when the church or a people are entrenched for so long in what they perceive to be sound biblical teaching and someone comes along and says well that's not really sound biblical teaching or or that's not really what the scripture teaches it causes conflict that's that's not necessarily a bad thing because we need to wrestle with god's word because god's word is to be the rule of our life. In fact, we're Southern Baptists. It says right in the Baptist faith and message that this word is the rule of our life for faith and practice. That's what it says. That the scripture is the rule of our life. Not the opinion of man. Not what men think. But the word of God is the rule of life. And Peter is finding out that the word of God has to rule his life. And so we see the preparations. Notice that Peter takes some folks with him. I found that interesting as I read that. We get that from Acts eleven twelve. We don't know why he took them with him. Perhaps he knew he was going into a different situation since these folks are Gentiles and he wanted, maybe he wants some witnesses with him. Cornelius also made preparations. He was expectant and excited to see Peter. In fact, he called together his close friends and relatives to be there. This reminds me of of uh, going on a mission trip. Uh, I know that uh, Sean and, and Kelly have been to El Salvador, but, but when you go to El Salvador and, and if, if, you, if you go out and you're sharing the gospel, it's so funny because you'll knock on a door and you'll go to share the gospel and you'll, you'll say, hey, I'm from America and I'm here to tell you about Jesus. They go and get everybody that's there in the house. It's their friends and their family, everybody. Hey, everybody come around. And they bring everybody to listen to what you're about to say. And that's exactly what we see happening right here with Cornelius. He's got his friends. He's got everybody there. He made preparations. But this says a lot about Cornelius as well. Why would he have called everyone there if he lacked faith? Cornelius knew that God would fulfill his purpose before Cornelius even knows the Lord, before he even knows Christ. He's a witness. He invites others to come and hear the messenger from God. And finally, we see that Peter and Cornelius meet. And as we look at this meeting of Peter and Cornelius, we notice that both of them are humbled by God. 
Cornelius had been humbled by the vision that God had given him. For four days, Cornelius had time to think about what was going to happen. Think about the vision. He was so humbled when he saw Peter. It says he fell down and he worshipped Peter in an act of deep reverence. But Peter also demonstrated humility. Peter could have accepted what Cornelius had done. But instead, he lifts him up and proclaims, I'm just a mere man, Cornelius. Peter was not worthy to receive worship. Interesting and, uh, interestingly enough, Jesus accepted worship and even accepted it from Peter. But no man is worthy of worship, as we're all mere men saved by the grace of God. And then we see some lessons learned by Peter and Cornelius. The lesson that Peter learned was this. No man was common or unclean. Did you see what Peter said when he met Cornelius? God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter now knew that Christ had abolished any distinction between Jew and Gentile. That Christ had taken away any division between Jew and Gentile. In fact, Christ has abolished all distinctions that men come up with. Christ has abolished all racial distinctions, all social distinctions, all economic distinctions, and any other distinction that man can possibly think of, Christ has abolished. No one was to treat another with anything but love and care, mercy and forgiveness, concern and compassion. Peter's prejudice was obliterated by God. The door of salvation was open for all people, including Gentiles. Cornelius also learned some lessons. For instance, he learned that the man who seeks God by the power of the Holy Spirit, God hears that man. He also learned that obedience was necessary when God commands. He said, now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear what? To hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Peter, we're all here. We want to hear what God's commanded you to say to us. This can prove to be difficult to grasp. But in the span of four days, God has taken a Gentile who was prepared by his grace to receive a gospel presentation. And he's taken a Jew, in fact, the leading apostle, and he's used him to bring the message of Jesus Christ to Cornelius. The message that Cornelius must have in order to be converted. And next week we'll see that conversion. This is the working of God, church. This is the working of God because he breaks down prejudice. He breaks down prejudice that's held for so long. And so we have to ask ourselves, what about me? How does this apply to me? I mean, this is talking about Jew and Gentile, but it goes beyond that. I want to bring this home for us this morning. I want to take this passage and, and desire to apply it to our lives. Because the fact of the matter is, church, we're all prone to prejudice. And like Peter, we may be blind to those prejudices until the Lord shockingly reveals them to us. 
You know, as I was preparing this message, I thought of some ways I could shock you into revealing your prejudices. I had a video I was going to show of a pastor friend that has tattoos all up his arms. He's lighting a cigar in the video to smoke it. I thought, well, if I show that video, we might have to call the paramedics because people will probably fall over in their pews, especially if they find out that he's a Southern Baptist pastor living in Illinois. However, the fact is, many godly men in the past have, and even present, smoked cigars. They didn't have the modern knowledge that we possess about the health risk of smoking, but godly pastors like Charles Spurgeon, probably one of the best pastors that was a Baptist ever, smoked cigars. G. Campbell Morgan, Jonathan Edwards smoked a pipe. Martin Lloyd-Jones smoked cigarettes early in his ministry, as did C.S. Lewis and others. Many American Christians would question the spirituality of a man who smoked. If not, they'd even question his salvation. Surely that man can't be saved. Doesn't he know that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? We hear chanted often. Yet many of these judgmental American temples are noticeably overfed and underexercised. But as long as it's not their sin they're calling out or their perceived sin, then they're willing to call it someone else's perceived sin. Many Christians in America would say, well, it's sinful or it's at least not spiritually mature for someone to have a drink, a beer they can't drink, even if they once diso- even if they never once disobeyed the scripture by getting drunk, but surely you can't be a Christian and have a drink. You've probably heard about the pastor that went downtown for church business. The only parking spot for him was in front of the tavern. Not long after he was parked there, one of the ladies in the church started complaining that the pastor was drinking in public. She based this belief on the fact that his car was parked in front of the tavern. The pastor didn't say a word. After hearing about it, the lady's rationale, he calmly parked his car in her drive one evening, and he left it there all night long. She got the point. For some people, it's tattoos. Surely you can't be a Christian. You can't be a solid believer and have a tattoo. Surely that means you're not real spiritual. Church, we could go on and on about the prejudice we have. That scripture never once tells us to have. Or the things that we call sin that scripture never ever once calls sin. But we just don't like it. So we better call it sin. We are so quick to judge those who do things that we do not approve of. And yet we don't even judge ourselves for the things that we do. And sometimes, like Peter, we are more scrupulous than the Lord is. We all tend to group people by race or occupation. And we pigeonhole individuals and judge them because they don't belong to the group that we belong to. Or they don't look the way that we think they should look. How dare them not look the way I think a good Christian man or woman should look. How dare them do things that I think are sin that even though scripture never clearly says is sinful. Like Peter, most of us use the Bible to justify our prejudice. 
And to read through the lens, we use the Bible to read through the lens of our prejudice. After all, the Bible warned Israel about associating with pagan idolaters of nations around them. The Bible showed them that they would be contaminated by contact with these uncircumcised dogs. Don't miss what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we should tolerate or accept sinful behavior. I'm not saying that we should join in with sinful people pretending that there's no difference between the non-sinner and the sinner or the person saved by the grace of God and the person that's not. However, I'm saying that if you and I refuse to address our prejudice, God will not take them out of our lives. And I'm telling you right now that if we refuse to address it, we will not we will not be effective in reaching across cultural and personal barriers with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will never happen as long as Christians continue with this kind of stuff. If you hate homosexuals, how will you share the gospel with them? If you stay away from someone that has tattoos and a body piercing or gauges in their ears, how will you share the gospel with them? If you do not like the color of someone's skin, how will you share the gospel with them? God's purpose is to use us to spread the gospel to the nations. It's abundantly clear that God is the one who's orchestrating this whole passage of Scripture. He wants His name glorified among the nations, and that is only accomplished through both the hearers and the proclaimers. He revealed Himself to Cornelius when he was ready, and He prepared Peter to be ready to take the gospel. And every time there is a person who is seeking God, it is only because God first sought them. And there are those that God is calling you to proclaim the gospel to. And we know that around his throne in heaven, church, there will be some from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And people from every nation that have been reached and have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if we don't have the heart to reach out with the gospel across cultural and across racial and across national barriers, then we don't have the heart that's from the Lord Jesus Christ. No one is common. No one is unclean. No one is to be shunned. No one is to be rejected. No one is to be despised because of their ethnicity, their race, their culture, or their physical traits. There are people around this world being prepared by God to seek Him, which means you and I must be willing to go. So let's just stop putting people down. Let's stop using slurs. Let's stop alienating others based on prejudice. And let's be the Good Samaritan to someone that's outcast, to the person that's downtrodden, to the person that doesn't know Christ, to that person that is untouchable. Let's be Christ to the untouchable leper. Let's be Peter to some waiting Cornelius. This morning, we're going to take communion together. And as we prepare ourselves 
for communion. Would you pray, God, show me my prejudices? Would you pray that this morning? God, show me my prejudices. And when he does, would you put them to death and show his love and offer the gospel to those that you might not be inclined to like because they're not like you. And when we do so, he will be exalted. He'll be exalted. When we love the unlovable, when we stop being so prejudiced, he will be exalted. We're going to sing a few verses of a, of a hymn, and maybe this morning you need to pray, or maybe you'd like to come forward and pray, or kneel at the altar, or have me pray with you before you take communion this morning. That's you. I want to open that up for you. But I'd ask that you pray to God. God, reveal my prejudice. And when he does, that you'd put him to death. Let's go ahead and pray together. And then we'll have a time of response. Father, I thank you for your word. It's faithful. It's true. And it's just.